0: assuming the inspection doesn't blow up the deal that we're gonna close we're not here to retrade the deal or renegotiate or nickel and dime at the end of the day we're gonna put our best foot forward and say hey this is the offer we can write it still allows us to achieve our yield and what we want and as long as again you know goes through the inspection nothing crazy we're gonna close everybody wanna
1: get the bag but y'all really know what it's gonna take trying to figure blue gems ag dropping blue gems new podcast baby tune in we in this thing dropping blue gems let's go let's another go. episode of blue gems podcast oh, thanks we for coming Taylor on we're here just crushing it crushing the dimensions. game. we're so excited to have you on bro thank you tell us a little bit
0: about you and how you got into real estate where your journey is leading you and all that good stuff um, so probably like some, thought about buying a duplex and naturally settled on short-term rentals. And, you know, me and my wife, we've stayed at 21 different Airbnbs, you know, since 2015, I was looking at our account the other day. So we always, it's our choice of preference. So I think naturally that's why I landed on it. And, um, you know, once I kind of figured out what I was doing, 400 hours of YouTube videos later, a couple books, So at some point got to jump in, wrote an offer on, uh, on a property. We actually wrote six offers before we got our first one, but got the first one and came in with that mindset of you know, hey, I want to buy one uh, one a year for the next you know ten years, I'll be great. And then once you get one, you're like, okay. Where's the second one at? Yeah. It's just a like mile. a tattoo right? It, tattoo, right? I'll just get
1: one small tattoo and then you're like covered no chance. in tattoos.
0: Yeah, I think the quote is like, it's a mile to the first tattoo and then an inch to the second. <laughs> <go>. And It's kind of what it is, with like short-term rentals. Right. There's a long buildup. You're like, I don't know. Am I going to mess this up? And then you buy one, you're like, okay, uh, let's get two, three, right. four, et cetera. So um, did that. And then, um, you know, just operationally and, and running short-term rentals, um, someone reached out to me um, at a huge firm and we have been building a short-term rental portfolio and we have investors that invest with us and we have a whole team now and we go out and buy short-term rentals across the country. Um, so, you know, we bring in capital, work okay. on building that out in, into being a really awesome portfolio, uh, completely diversified across the U.S. Hey, wow. That's exciting, man. I that's don't think the most we,
1: exciting answer we've, yeah, we've gotten. Yeah, we haven't had anyone on that's moving like that. So dude, elaborate
0: some more, Like, like tell us more about it. Yeah. So, you know, as we stand today, we have twenty-three properties in seven different markets with eight more under contract. And so you know, when, when we're looking to grow, we're just finding these areas where we can get strong cash flows. We want to be able to get multiple properties within that area. And, you know, you have to take into account, you know, different risk factors, whether that's regulation. And, you know, obviously for us, we want to make sure that this area has taken a stance on short term rentals. I think a lot of people get confused in that they're like, oh, well, short-term rentals are allowed, but the municipality hasn't taken a stance. They haven't said yes yes or no, so it's allowed allowed because they haven't made a decision. But tomorrow they could all of a sudden say, hey, they're not allowed or they're only allowed in these districts, and you could get in trouble. So for us, we want the municipality to have already taken a stance. Uh, And then number two, what really helps hedge is a place like lodging taxes. So if a municipality has implemented lodging taxes where they might charge $5 a night for every booking, you know, or for, you know, that comes in, they're going to get that revenue for their city. And of course they're going to get addicted to it. They want to make that, you know, depending on the municipality, it'd be anywhere from half a million to, you know, it could drive as much as three million a year, depending on how many bookings they get, so. They're not passing I, up on that cash flow. Uh not, not as a government entity. <laughs> right. I, haven't, I haven't seen any government entity give back money before, exactly. so yeah, exactly. I, I don't see them cutting right. that off. So, you know, that's how we look at these markets. And then, you know, I think it helps too, when you look at places with established rental histories and um, places that people have been vacationing since the seventies or eighties before Airbnb even existed, you know, short-term rentals have always been around. Airbnb is new and the platform itself, but people have been booking. So those are kind of the different hedges we look at for where to go and then obviously find, you know, these emerging markets to invest in. So I have a personal portfolio outside of our investment portfolio with our, with our company. So me and my wife have ours, you know, kind of on the side and I'll always continue to buy more and grow that. Meanwhile, obviously, you know, I don't have as much capital as, you know, the firm (laughs) does. So, um, you know, we're continuing to build that and grow that whenever I have spare cash boom, I'll turn around and buy more for me and my wife. And at some point, you know, I, I think every investor wants to make that trade off where instead of buying for pure cash flow, you can buy a little bit for pleasure where it's in a good location, you're okay. Taking a lesser return, You know, right now I'm still in the growth phase, so I'm still chasing yield at the same token. Eventually, I think it's to make it a lifestyle play where, you know, you have enough cash flow coming in that you can add one or two. And, you know, even if they make single digit returns or break even, you're pumped. It's still real estate.
2: So you mentioned yield. How are you underwriting these deals? So what is your target return and and how are you looking at a deal to make sure that it makes
0: sense for your investors? When it comes to underwriting, um, you know, you have to look at Um, you know, things like interest rates. So every week we are re-shopping and re-quoting interest rates. They have gone up recently on a weekly basis. So um, that's just as simple as changing the line. I most place sell sheet and on the pro forma, um, you have to look at what kind of leverage do you want to use? You know, most places you can't get investment loan without at least 20% down, but from, you know, more of an institutional level, you know, they would want slightly less leverage. So maybe you get into that, you know, 25, 30, 35% down range. You know, then you're gonna balance everything else out that's gonna be standard, whether that's property taxes, utilities, all that good stuff, Um, you know, capex reserve. So how much money do you wanna keep on hand? Obviously as like a retail investor like myself, I'm not gonna have as big of a capex budget. I'm not gonna set, you know, a huge amount aside. I think as we obviously grow, we have a fiduciary responsibility. And so, you know, you start at the top with purchase price, the interest rate, everything we uh, we talked about, then you go down all your expenses, boom, now it gives out, hey, here's what we're looking at for projected returns. So I'm a brand new investor. I just learned about short-term rentals. Why would I invest in your fund versus going out and trying to do it on my own? Great question. So I I think it kind of comes down to a couple of things. You know, first would be time. So, um, you know, do you want true passive income? So with this, you get exposure to the asset class and it's a way to have, you know, short-term rentals in your portfolio, whether you also have stocks, bonds, long-term rentals, self-storage, office, anything else. Um, It gives you a really good opportunity to mix this in. Um, now obviously taking on the investment yourself, you're always going to be up more returns. Anything you're able to do yourself and, and cut that out, you're going to make more, but it's going to require more time, more research, more knowledge. So some people love the idea of Airbnbs, but they're not doing all the legwork, the groundwork, you know, like we have. So if you can just kind of plug capital into a plug and play situation, you know, in essence, they own a fractional share of a bunch of Airbnbs, but they don't outright own their own individual one. So, um, but as time will tell, of course, we've learned that a lot of investors have, you know, invested and then they get that itch and will actually go out and find their own Airbnb for them, you know, based on their qualifications, what they're looking for geographically, price point amenities. So it's another add on service because we already have the infrastructure and team to do it is we're just gonna go help people find their own Airbnb, take our knowledge, take our expertise, take our team's skill set, and just apply it for somebody who maybe either doesn't have the time or you know the knowledge to do it themselves. Love it. Yeah. So like, let's just pretend that
1: I'm a brand new investor and I watch this podcast and this looks awesome. I'm like, yo, I'm I'm in. What's the minimum contribution, generally speaking? And like, what type of yield are they going to be offered?
0: Yeah. So um, you know, minimum in the in this current one is 25k. Um, you know, anything above that is acceptable. Um, you know, our, our targets always double digit returns. So, you know, with everything we go after, we want to look at, you know, Hey, at the end of the day, can we target double digit returns? So, um, you know, that's kind of the big thing of what we're looking for. Um, you know, when we find these properties, um, you know, we're not trying to find something that's going to return a 5% return. It's just not worth, um, the legwork, anything like that. There's other investment vehicles. There's other asset classes you can go into. So I think what people like about short-term rentals is that upside potential that is there at some point, the lifestyle does enter it. Um, you know, a lot of investors, you know, they like they we give them a, a discount to, um, you know, book and stay at any of the properties within the portfolio. So it's kind of nice that, you know, unlike, say, you know, maybe investing in an office building like what we're in today. They're not going to go rent this office building and, you know, put a sleeping bag in here and stay overnight, <laughs> but they might go on a rent and take a family vacation. So it is a cool opportunity to um, have that where it, it is a lifestyle investment where you could still get a pretty good yield and at the same time, you know, get some use out of it uh, at the same time. Yeah, awesome. I love it.
1: So with, you have 23 with this fund, right? Yeah. Your firm. Um, what does automation look like? Cause I mean, that's a lot to manage.
0: Yeah. Um, I, we try to use a ton of technology and, you know, every day there's more and more technology and opportunities. So um, obviously there's guest communication, there's, um, you know, revenue management, you know, most of this you can automate, but at some point you do still need a human element to it. And, I think the team we have in place today and the team we're going to continue to grow will all be strategically picked. So whether it's acquiring the property and having an acquisitions team, and then once we get under contract and close, they'd get the new tile and add the hot tub, the amenities. So they'll oversee that. Then the designers come in and they're actually going to pick the decor, the furniture, everything like that. And then once that's done, we'll get the listing ready and then turn over to the property management team. So I think it's just that constant. It goes from one person's department to the next and so um, really, depending on the, the life cycle, one department might get backed up. You know, if we have a ton of properties being remodeled, the operations team that we, you know, we might need to bring in more people because, hey, we have, you know, 12 properties being remodeled at one time. Right. At the same token, if we're adding more properties, um, you know, managing them, we might need to bring in more customer service reps to help with the management side is where we at in the in the life cycle, you know, of the of the portfolio and seeing exactly kind of, you know. Who needs help where? So at some point, every department will be a bottleneck, you know, maybe briefly. And so, you, you know, we try to want to give them the resources to succeed and be successful. So how big is your team currently? Like walk me through your org chart. So currently today we have 15 people. So our two co-founders um, come from tech, ex-Facebook and ex-Apple. Uh, we do take a tech forward approach to Airbnbs, but with that human operation element. We do have our own internal proprietary software that allows us to underwrite short-term rentals across the U.S. So wow, like underwriting over 2,000 uh, properties a day through our technology. And wow, we do
1: like four. Wow. Two <laughs> we <thousand. do> four.
2: <laughs> I know that That's incredible. you're not going to be able to share too much detail, but at a very high level, how are you underwriting so many deals in, in one day?
0: Yep. So uh, because of some key partnerships and, you know, key advisors on our team and on our board, you know, we have um, MLS access so we can target key markets. So, you know, today, right now, I think the software has about 250 markets in the U.S. Obviously, that's not everything, but it's just markets we might want to invest in um, analytical tools such as, you know, AirDNA, our own internal data. And so what it'll do is cross compare this 3-2 versus other three twos being rented for average daily rate, occupancy, what projected revenue looks like. And then in real time, the system will just take those numbers and plug it into a pro forma. I think what it allows us to do is can't see deals that are worth spending our time on and ones that aren't. So I think Zillow proved the point that you can't buy only based on technology. So we're not eye buying, that's for sure. But the technology does 80% of the work for us. And then that human element, the acquisitions team will go in and actually look at it more. But what's really advantageous is we're not wasting time on deals that no matter what, they're not going to pencil out. You know, they're a negative five cash on cash return. We don't waste time looking at those. But the system might say, hey, look at this deal in, you know, wherever, Indianapolis. And it's a projected 18% cash on cash. Well, we can okay. go in and see the comps that are used and look at it and go, well, this, this one, one has a pool. Ours doesn't. doesn't. This one is close okay. to downtown. Ours is further out. I don't think it's going to do 80k. It's probably actually only going to do 70, and we'll re-underwrite it. Then once we re-underwrite okay. it, we look at the new return and say, well, you know, instead okay. of an 18, now it's a 12. Well, a deal doesn't look as appealing, maybe. Um, or okay. we might look at the comps, and you know, it might be the flip side. We see a 12, and we look at, oh, we have a pool in the comps, don't, Oops. and so, so now know, we can be more aggressive with that list price. Whereas again, the more data points we're able to get, the more honed in on our offers. So okay. other people might say oh, man, I think they paid too much for that. But we might have more data points that say, no, we, we know that we can do more revenue than this to, to hit our desired return. So yeah. that's kind of the awesome thing about the technology is it allows us just, like I said, see all those deals on a daily basis. Um, you know, obviously not perfect. We do miss some, wish we could catch all the deals. So you mentioned the MLS, so you're not doing any off-market underwriting then currently? Oh, mm-hmm. whether that be a pocket listing, um, they know we're an active buyer. They know that assuming the inspection doesn't blow up the deal that we're going to close. We're not here to retrade the deal or renegotiate or nickel and dime. At the end of the day, we're going to put our best foot forward and say, Hey, this is the offer we can write. It still allows us to achieve our yield and and what we want. And as long as again, you know, goes through the inspection, nothing crazy, we're going to close. So I I think having a shared buyer, uh, somebody like us is very appealing to agents. And so, um, you know, definitely something we've continued to do is build our agent relationships across the country and, um, they know that, hey, if it's a short term rental and a potentially good market is, hey, bring us those deals. You know, obviously they're incentivized to they get paid for it, um, but it's just a great opportunity. So, yeah, only about 10 percent has been off market. Would love to, you know, look at buying more off market, you know, deals and properties. Uh, that does require systems, time, you know, capital and effort to to build those out. Not saying they're not worth it, but I do think with everything we have on our plate today, um, you know, it's not something we're pursuing um, you know, as time allows, as more capital allows, we we might do that. But we're still buying, you know, pretty successfully on market. So I, I think too if deals dried up, it might be something to invest in. For sure. <laughs> so, oh,
1: man. so out of all of the markets that y'all are in right now, which which ones are y'all most excited about?
0: Uh moving forward or just, just current state. Say, so you you're in seven different markets, correct? Yeah. So as we sit today, we're in uh, Joshua Tree, California, Scottsdale, Arizona, Panama City Beach, Blue Ridge, Georgia, the Poconos in Pennsylvania, Catskills in upstate New York. We just closed in Branson, Missouri, and we're under contract in a couple, you know, other strategic markets. So haven't closed those yet. So nothing, nothing official. But, um, yeah, we do have a nice spread. We've got some West Coast, some Northeast, South. But then we also look at, too, we have a good seasonality blend where mm. in Scottsdale, January, February, March is peak season. Most anywhere else in the country, unless you're at a ski resort, January, February is typically slow, you know, especially if you look at the Pocono Mountains, you know, not necessarily, you know, if you're in the Poconos by the ski resort, sure. But if you're kind of in the Poconos by the lake, it's going to be pretty dead. So as far as getting that seasonality and balancing cash flow, I think that is nice to have. Same thing with having Panama City Beach, um, you know, or like you start looking at other Florida markets like a Tampa, Fort Lauderdale same thing that first quarter of the year is going to be very popular. They want to go to Blue Ridge, you know, they want to go to all these other markets. And that's where, as we look forward, it's kind of that blend of, like I said, coastal, lake, mountain, you know, now we want to start mixing more like, you know, traditional urban markets where, you know, I think COVID taught us like, hey, stay away from those markets. But there's definitely, you know, you know, at the time of recording this, year, there's definitely a, a rebound in, you know, these, you know, more traditional cities that people are are traveling to. So I think for us, it's just smart to incorporate that into our portfolio and have more of these traditional, you know, cities and, and urban places to invest in. Yeah. Just keep it really diversified, right? You know, if a hurricane hit and all our properties were coastal <laughs> Florida, could be a problem. It's uh, a problem. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, you know, it, Doesn't matter how much insurance you have, there's still, you know, time and, and, and headaches that go with it. But I think you know key is is balancing that out, and you know, like I said, not not overexposing to one individual market, one individual style. Um, you know, that's that's also bed and bath count. You know, hey, we have too many one bedroom condos, or hey, we have too many six bedroom you know family reunion bachelorette style mansions. We have too many run of the mill three twos. You know, I think it's it's keeping a balance of each of those in the portfolio, making sure we don't carry too much of one of those um, you know sizes. Man.
2: Super smart. You've thought about everything. So as you're, as you're thinking about scaling, you went the route of of building a fund going through syndication. So walk me through all the steps and the regulations you had to go through to
0: do something like that. Well, the good news is we have a CFO who handles all of that. So I can't speak <laughs> intelligently uh, or accurately to that. I do know there is obviously a lot of paperwork, it's a lot of legal, uh, you know, you're getting the, the SEC, the IRS, everybody involved. So, um, you know, it does give you an opportunity to, you know, obviously leverage other people's money. Um, but, um, you know, at the same time, um, you know, you have to focus that, you know, we can, you know, we can't do that, that maybe an individual retail investor can do. You know, there's For things sure. that, you know, we can do, you know, personally, and in, you know how we're investing or what we're investing in. That you know can't do that from it from more of a you know fiduciary responsibility type of things. You know, there's deals I come across. So I was like, man, if I had the capital, I would buy this one. But you know, from a fiduciary responsibility, unfortunately, we can't buy it. You know, and be like, man, I would, you know, I would buy this, but it just doesn't make sense for us and you know staying within the rules and, and what we're allowed to do. So. Um, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of legwork. I'm, I'm very thankful that we have, you know, somebody way smarter than me to, you know, handle all the legal and the financial, um, you know, so if you've ever seen Wolf of Wall Street oversees the finance department, we call him Jordan Belford's dad. Um, you know, so if you've ever seen Wolf of Wall Street, uh, you, you know, exactly the personality sure. and he makes sure to keep us in line. He makes sure that the spending stays in track and we're not doing this crazy you know we don't need this six thousand dollar living room couch he's over here yelling at the designers like no we gotta keep this budget in check here if we're gonna get the returns we want so it's always good to have a guy like that on your team and uh you know we're forever grateful for him so yeah we call him jordan belford's dad <laughs> i love it what we'll puts you on the spot
1: so Ooh. if you had to buy a property right now you had to in the next week you and your wife not the firm where would you park your
0: money what market And assuming me and my wife are going to hold this for a long-term horizon, me being a a younger guy in my early thirties. Yep, exactly. I would go and invest probably in a market like a Florida, um, you know, probably like a Tampa, a Fort Lauderdale. It's going to be really tough to have any downside appreciation, you know, like very bullish on a place like West Palm beach, Fort Lauderdale. Right Right now, now, it doesn't make much sense to invest west of 95 And then at the same time, you can't invest in the Atlantic Ocean. You know, same thing like a market like Tampa and, you know, in Pinellas County, uh, you know, which is where Clearwater is. There's only when you go over the bridge from downtown Tampa, again, there's only so many, you know, land. And so I think that's where I would probably park my money, um, you know, actively looking in those markets. Um, Obviously still want the best return. But if I had to know that, hey, I I need to balance returns today with also the potential to not lose money down the road. I don't see people stopping moving to Fort Lauderdale or West Palm Beach. I don't think people are gonna stop moving to Tampa. I mean, I used to live there for six years. Um, You know, definitely a great market. Those are good opportunities that I would think, you know, would be where I would park money tomorrow for me and my wife for a long-term basis. So
2: you skipped over one city and I think you know what city I'm talking about. Why is Orlando not
0: on that list? Even though I live here, I get asked this all the time. Uh, You know, personal experience here, I know a lot of guys who are crushing it, probably like the guys at this table here. <laughs> I also know people who've gotten their wounds licked. I've seen five bedroom properties be priced down all the way to one nineteen it. a night. And, and I struggle to give my one bedroom away for less than one nineteen a night with the value we feel we have in it. So um the other thing is is institutions. So obviously we're, you know, we're much smaller than, you know, a BlackRock or one of these massive institutions. We're still just growing our, our private equity firm, but um, Arguably, in the country today, you know two of the most institutionalized markets w- would be Orlando and would be joshua tree california and that 's where actual institutions are dumping hundreds of millions of dollars and So when we look at people building entire neighborhoods just for short term rentals and it 's not and that gets a little tricky where it 's never fun to compete with people who have more money than me uh, it 's not it 's not fun. I like going to towns where you know, I'm competing with Uncle Bob, and he took his listing photos with his iPhone six, and that's my competition. Or you know, I go to a place like the Poconos or Branson, where there's a lot of dated product. There's a lot of 1970s, 1980s, and people have green carpet, and they're you know bringing in eighty thousand a year in <laughs> revenue. I'm like, okay, maybe let's just put vinyl plank flooring down, let's and see what uh, happens. you know the drapes down and the plaid's out and let's just let the nice, you know, windows There's and maybe, you know, paint the trim work. And so those are, you know, their institutions obviously are gonna come for short-term rentals uh, at some point. It is early, you know, I think, you know, like we always say, people ask, and as a washed up baseball guy, I always like to say, we're in the second inning right now is about how I look at it for short-term rentals. Wow, second inning. I mean, that's exactly what uh, Rob and Stephen said. Rob too. and Stephen
1: said yeah. in the second inning too. Yeah.
2: Cause I, cause, cause I was going to ask you that that was my next
0: question. Like how far, you know, currently today, if you, if you go look at, you know, Brian Chesky's last, uh, you know, CEO of Airbnb last, you know, call, like there's still a supply and demand imbalance today. So people are like, oh, Airbnbs are saturated. I'm like, mm, not according to the numbers they're not, there's still more demand than there is supply. Um, I think he said, we're about a million homes short. Like we need a million people tomorrow to list their home on Airbnb just to create equilibrium.
1: Yeah, over a million wow. hosts is still required to meet that demand.
0: Yeah, and that's assuming future demand doesn't increase. Yeah, you know, that's just to right. match today's. So, and it's trending as more demand.
2: Of course, what we saw in COVID was that people wanted more flexibility, and so what does that do for Airbnb?s That makes them even more attractive. People have a hybrid work environment, or they're be able, or they're able to work entirely from home, and so now you're able to travel more, and naturally demand is increasing.
1: And some inter- international travel is still not open not for back. some countries. Still, <laughs> so, you know, so. Yeah, Wild.
0: I, I think that. And then when we talk about institutions, you know, outside of you know Orlando Disney and, and, and Joshua Tree, um, you know, we've talked to a huge institutional um, you know real estate company before. They're a multi billion dollar company, and they're like, yeah, we don't get involved in in an asset for under fifty million. So, I mean, just think about that today. Like, if you needed to spend fifty million dollars in short term rentals as you're part of your quote unquote your firm, where are you going to go tomorrow or today? to get $50 million worth of short-term rentals. It doesn't exist. You're either buying single-family homes one at a time or as, as quickly as you can, and that's gonna take you a while, or you have to go out and build these entire neighborhoods. So I think our kind of thesis is, hey, if we go build this awesome portfolio that has 50 to 100 short-term rentals across the US, well, if you build a condo, you probably need to build a couple of them for 20 million. <laughs> you know where are you going to get into short-term rentals? So I think that's where the huge opportunity is and why we're so early. It's not multifamily. It's not storage. It's not office. It's not retail. These are very established real estate asset classes. Short-term rentals is just, it's just so new and institutions aren't here. Once institutions get here, once lending gets easier, you know, I think we've all had our lending horror stories with short-term rentals and we all know how difficult it could be. Once that becomes as mainstream as buying, you know, a self-storage facility, a multifamily, a duplex, or, or even a, short, uh, a long-term rental, again, it, it's going to continue to make the asset class more mature. Institutions will get involved because lending's easier. So when do you think that will be? Because long-term rentals have been around for
2: ages. And if you go to Fannie and Freddie to sell your loan, you know, as a third party, they're going to use the rents to qualify you for the loan, but they haven't done that yet for short-term rentals aside
0: from some commercial products. So when do you think that will be? Yeah, I mean, our kind of thesis is is maybe somewhere in the two to five year range. Um, We wanted to actually prove a point today and just see is what are people's appetite to buy a short-term rental based on the yield? So every real estate asset class trades on yield. It doesn't trade on appraised value. So if you look at a self-storage facility or a duplex, They're going to look at what's the net operating income and then they're going to buy off it and there's some sort of that's a pull.
2: We say all the time, like the appraised value in today's market is almost irrelevant from the standpoint of we're buying based on a cash on cash return. So if an appraiser is going to come in and and tell me that the property is worth 50K less than what I think it is based on comps, which may not even be on Airbnb or may just be a primary residence, Mm -hmm. it's not relevant to what I'm trying to do. So I'm just wondering when Lenders will have that same opinion because historically one to four units has always been considered residential, and so you're basing it on comps and not NOI.
0: Yeah, I mean, at some point lenders will. I think right now the only time getting into that commercial lending space is they're they're utilizing their DNA, and then what a lot of them will do is discount it somewhere between twenty and forty percent. Um, look at what your DSCR ratio is, um, and, and see is hey does this work? Um, so some lenders are branching out. I think. There is a prime opportunity kind of quote unquote being first to market. You know, if you can be the first lender to emerge in the space as taking on short term rentals, I think they're going to make a killing because everybody will go to them. We all know the struggles, those of us who are actively buying, how much of a pain it can be. It's definitely different from traditional lending. And if you can be that first institution to understand the asset class, take on the risks, but also capture the upside. I think that institution, that, you know, that bank, that firm, that lender, that broker, whoever it is, is going to be absolutely on fire because everybody's going to go to them and then they're going to get copied. But it's always fun to be first to market. (laughs) It's not as fun to be second, third, fourth, et cetera. Lenders, listen up. Right. Man, what an opportunity. Yeah, that would be a game changer for sure. I think unfortunately they have people they have to respond to. So, you know, there there might be some, some entry level or low level guys on the totem pole who are like, man, we should get into this space. There's so much opportunity. And the guy at the top, he loses his cushy job. So, um, but at some point, somebody will make that leap. Like in everything, somebody makes that first risk and it'll be awesome when it does because that person's going to get a ton of business and it's going to make it easier for, you know, investors like us and, you know, regular investors, everybody.
1: Speaking of like, shifting focus or, or taking risk, right? Would you ever consider an STR, like a luxury STR? And what's what's your thought process on that?
0: Yeah, um, you know, personally, I, I think it'd be pretty cool. Um, you know, I, you can get a little trouble is what happens when the market softens. I think even looking right now, when you look at the price cuts that are on, you know, Zillow, Redfin, a lot of them are coming from that million plus right now. There's, if you are wanting to buy, um, right now and you can afford that one to two million, there's a lot of opportunity to pay very less than asking price right now. Uh, it, it just exists in the marketplace. I think that's a very soft area. There's not a lot of buyers in one to two million anyway. And the fact that you know now there's multiple inventory, um, you know, it's hard. So they're doing a lot of price cuts. Um, if you have a unique product in a unique location, whether that's oceanfront for luxury or a ski resort or something that makes you different, I think it gives you so much upside. The biggest advantage with luxury properties is, I think you can differentiate even more from the others. When you have a 3-2 in a market with 500 other three twos, it gets really hard to differentiate because you might do one thing and then everybody else does it. You look at a place like Gatlinburg, and at one point everybody thought, Oh, I'll be different. I'll put a movie theater in mine.
1: Mm-hmm. And now
0: you look and it's probably like, I don't know the numbers, but probably half the market has movie theaters. Maybe so now, more. Yeah. Exactly. So if you if you Google search and people are like, oh, this Airbnb doesn't have a movie theater. I'm not yeah. gonna stay here. This thing sucks. Yeah. You know? So it, it's kind of seeing, but within that luxury, you have a bigger space, you have a bigger lot, you have a little bit more room to play. And so I think naturally that allows you to board in the backyard of some things to do a miniature golf course to put, you know, a pickleball court in the backyard, a basketball court, like do these other cool things. You know, um, you know. if you have an oceanfront location, you know, you can cater events and do, you know, little weddings or gatherings. So there's so many more opportunities, I think, to be high end. And that's where investing in luxury short-term rentals also is, is a little bit of an art form. The numbers might tell you like, this doesn't make sense, <laughs> but if you go execute a plan and that's where the art side of it comes in, your returns are through the roof. So I I really think investing in luxury um, becomes less about the numbers and more about the art. I think you can only, you know, at the end of the day, you can only get X for a three bedroom in this market. Like people just aren't going to pay. But with that luxury, you know, it's almost uncapped. Oh, I love that. I mean, I'm
1: pretty bullish on, you know, transitioning into luxury STR space, you know, less competition, uh, I think better quality tenant. And, uh, you know, just
0: something that I would be a lot more proud of. Also more particular, I I would say when you, uh, that was one thing I have noticed when you look at the reviews on those luxury properties, you know, we have like, you know, there's like uh, cleanliness, there's location, there's all stuff. The the little one there called value. uh, I think that gets (laughs) tough when somebody's dropping, you know, two grand a night. It's got to be two grand a night in their head. And unfortunately, I think some people come from different backgrounds. So it's probably, you know, the only quote unquote real drawback I've seen is that, you know, maintaining that 5.0 rating on your uh, Airbnb is going to be a little tougher because I think you'll, you'll get some, some threes and fours for value. Now, obviously if the place is very clean, if the location's prime, those are always going to stay five and overall experience might still be five, but you know, I think, I think unfortunately, you know, Hey, we want to drive revenue. We want to get two, 3,000 a night, but we better deliver two to $3,000 worth of value. Um, and so I think that can be tough at times with that luxury, you know, there, cause there's only so much you can do, but at the same time, if you're the only five bedroom and somebody wants to book, you're going to price that thing as high as you can. You know, that's the best part about dynamic pricing. It's supply and demand. And if there's not a lot of five bedroom oceanfronts and it's Memorial Day weekend and you're holding out for a high price and somebody wants to book, they're going to pay $2,000 a night because you're the only one available.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I think because you are going to be competing with less other properties, right? You'll have options to hire a strong team. And offload some of that, you know. So,
0: I'm I'm, not, I'm pretty bullish on it. I'm, I'm curious to see what happens. Yeah, I I think you have a good thesis there. Um, it's definitely something we've looked at. You know, um, I think for us, you know, we, we did have internal discussions. Do we want to be like maybe like a wander, one of those like that just does luxury short term rentals only? Do we want to just maybe add a couple luxury into what we do? You know, I don't know. Our, our bread and butter is you know just looking at the data, finding these these opportunities. I think it could be a diversification for us down the road is non-traditional markets, but where people still go and, and you know, maybe you're appealing to nurses or mix in some midterm rentals and tons of opportunity in that space. And that, you know, mm-hmm. 30, wow. 30 day to six month rental range, there's there's huge opportunity.
1: Yeah, Aiden and I talk about we that We
2: love time. midterm rentals because we feel <laughs> that it is an asset class that literally no one is doing. No one is talking about it. No one is fulfilling the demand and- You always wanna be first. And you want to be first to market. <laughs> and the trend that, that I personally feel is, again, as people become more flexible with their workplace, the demand for a midterm rental and people wanting to go and visit numerous cities and be able to work out of those locations for an extended period of time, maybe in that three to six month period will become more and more. And so if you can get first to market and fill that demand, you'll make a killing.
0: Now the opportunity seeing, I've seen young professionals build like an ecom business and sell it. And, you know, one guy I know, and, you know, I've kind of just stayed in touch, you know, loosely through social media, you know, he wanted to go travel and he's like, man, I'm going to go spend 30 days here. Then I'm going to go spend 30 days here. And, go days here. and right. so now you can kind of check all those off. And he lived out of, you know, 10 or 12 different Airbnbs for an entire year. You know, he's over in Europe, he was over in New York, he was over in California, he was in Texas, he was in Florida. Excuse me, just going to all these different places. And I think it's a it's because of having that. At the same time, you know, I've also seen somebody who's like, hey, I want to spend six months in Europe and then I want to spend six months here. And, you know, again, so now you have that opportunity is to post up at an Airbnb for six months in Europe and, you know, explore, be immersed in that culture. Mm. Only rent to traveling nurses, you know, on these 30, 60, 90, 120 day contracts or whatever it might be. So definitely think it's underserved. Definitely think you're onto something. Um, don't know that I'm going to be the one to put my foot out there. I might try and come in (laughs) second or third behind you guys, but uh, uh, curious to watch, uh, you know, somebody kind of go all in because you'll, you'll definitely make a killing and then people like me, you'll catch up, but we won't make a stronger return.
2: First to market. Yeah. I think it was already happening pre COVID, but I think COVID kind of accelerated that trend because what employers did was say, Hey, we learned that you guys were able to work from home productively. Mm -hmm. And so now you have more opportunity to do that on your own. So I'm a brand new investor. I just learned about
0: short-term rentals. What would be your advice for me? Um, The path I took, I'm not saying it's the best path, but I I think the path I would take is I started out and probably, like I said, watched about 400 hours of YouTube videos, um, rotated between about four or five different people. Um, You know, somebody might be putting out good content, but At the end of the day, it's their one experience and that doesn't mean it's the only way to get it done. So that's why I would definitely recommend watching multiple different people because they're gonna offer different segments. I know you guys are obviously diversifying to different parts but there's not a lot of people, You know, a lot of people who got their start in Airbnb, they might have five to 10 in one market or in two markets. So when they talk about their experience, it might be a little different and there might be things that they did two, three, four years ago that you can't do today. So that's why again, I do that. Um, I was reading tons of blogs, bigger pockets forums, even you know bought a couple books and read them as well. So um, I think immersing yourself in as many different mediums as you can is what I would do. However, what I, I do see a lot of investors do is kind of uh, over analysis paralysis. At some point you got to jump in, but what I always say is learn enough that you're not gonna drown. You know, you're not gonna be Michael Phelps when you first get into the pool, but right. know Ooh. enough that you're not gonna drown but just enough about each category of the business to get by. Nothing will ever replace, you know, hands-on experience. And, you know, I thought I, you know, didn't really know what I knew after the first one we ever bought, but then it was, boom, instant learning and made it easier for the second one, which makes it easier for the third. It makes it easier for the fourth. And then it just becomes, you know, very, you know, back of the hand studying, keep watching the new video. You you miss out on opportunities. sidelines rates rise. They know enough, and they're just going to keep studying, keep watching the new videos, and then you you miss out on opportunities. Interest rates rise, prices rise, whatever it is, you just lose out on opportunities. And at some point, you got to take the risk. You know, it, it is an investment. At the end of the day, it's the same as if you buy a stock; it could go down. Um, but do your research, know enough, don't drown, and you know you'll do fine once you're treading water and getting inside. Knowing what you know
2: now. You can go back in time to when you first started. What would you do differently? I'd buy a lot more.
0: <laughs> I was rates are going to double, taking out every loan from friend and family, and being like, we have to buy now because rates are going to double and prices are going to. So, if I knew what I knew now, I would. Um, I also think, too, uh, operationally, I'd have more systems. I I would say that I I didn't come in as systemized as I am, whether that be with, you know, how I handle check-ins, how I handle, um, you know, setting up a property, how I handle communication with cleaners. You know, I I think I kind of was just like, hey, I'll figure it out as I go and like, hey, other people did this and I'll try that. Um, naturally going to happen and build a system to not uh, work. And you're always going to make tweaks. I mean, we're even making tweaks to our system today. I think that's naturally going to happen. And every time you go into a, a new market or a new place, you're always going to learn something new and add a system. And I think that's where, um, you know, I, I would definitely do is build a system to start. Might not be the right okay. system or the best system, but have a system. And that's going to really help, again, just accelerate your growth as you continue to grow your short-term rental portfolio.
1: Love
2: it. The year is 2027. Where is Taylor Jones?
0: I mean, hopefully on a golf course somewhere. Um, (laughs) So personally, where does it put us five years from now here? um, You know, I'm hoping at this point we, you know, maybe have had a nice exit on our portfolio at the firm. Um, You know, personally would love to have, you know, continued to build my own portfolio. Um, Ideally, I'm in a place where I'm not required to work knowing my personality i don't think i'll ever quote unquote retire but i think it would be nice to just have that opportunity to um not say yes to meetings i don't want to do and not work on projects i don't want to do but um i i don't see myself as ever stopping i think again when you know cash flows you know exceed life expenses you know that's where you can start making those lifestyle investments and if you can buy it and you know have that opportunity yeah, you know, that's where, like I said, you know, finding that 0% return property and you just go use it, you know, X amount of time. Or you have, you know, a place, you know, out in the harbor in Maine or you have a place in, you know, San Diego or wherever you, you know, your lifestyle takes you. Get a place internationally. I think that'd be fun. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would love to own internationally too. For sure. 100%. So last question. It could be about real estate, life relationships, anything, what's one blue gem, the last blue gem you want to leave with the audience?
0: Find something that you enjoy doing. And for me, I've, you know, bartended through college, been in the service industry, I've done sales work. And I think, you know, this is really where I was meant to be. And so if you're not finding where you're at is just go pursue it, go try. Like I had no idea if short-term rental was gonna work. I didn't know if our first one was gonna be successful, but you gotta make the (laughs) leave. So true. Because if you never actually give it a try, you never know if it could have been. And uh, I think a great quote I had is, there's no such thing as losses, they're only learning experiences. And so, even if, like, you know, that first property, we would have lost 10 grand on it. it, it wouldn't have been a loss. It would have been a learning experience. Cause I tell you what would happen, definitely wouldn't have lost 10 grand on the second one, you know, if that was our experience. Not everybody's obviously going to hit a home run like, like we did on our first one. But um, that's what, that's the biggest thing I would say is in anything, whether it is short term rentals, find something you like doing. You can really be successful and carve out a niche in something that you enjoy doing every day. Love that, man. And man. Um, where can people find you? uh i hang out on twitter um that's where i'm putting out content daily uh, on everything short term rentals really feel like the more i give back um rising tide lifts all boats community so um, i'm at mr jones strs is where you can find me on twitter boom mm, love it my man thank you man what so an episode bro. absolutely that's
1: appreciate it coming on jb dropping blue gems ag dropping blue gems new podcast baby tune in we in this thing dropping blue gems